0: You're listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. Worship with us on Sundays in Kansas City or join us in June for our youth and young adult conference called Bold. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, if you brought it, you can turn there. I'm gonna be reading from the New King James uh, in just a moment. If you didn't bring it, I think the scriptures are gonna come up on the screens here. But title of this message, what I wanna share with you today is from the words of Jesus out of the Olivet Discourse that I'm gonna read just a moment, where Jesus encourages his disciples to stay awake. So let's take a look here at verse number 32. We'll start there and then we'll launch out. Verse 32, it says, "'But of that day and hour, no one knows, "'not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, "'but only the Father. "'Take heed, watch, and pray, For you do not know when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Verse 35, watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. He uses that word watch, the English standard version of the Bible. Instead of saying take heed, watch, and pray, it just simply summarizes it by saying stay awake. So let's all practice that this morning. Everybody say stay awake. That was Jesus's focus when it came to teaching about the last days. There is a ton of teaching and programs and emphasis out there on the last days. In fact, I graduated high school in 1989, and in 1988, when I was going into my senior year, a guy wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Return in 1988. Maybe some of you remember that book, but I remember in the summer, several of us who were in our youth group, we took that book and we read it, and he predicted like a date in September of 1988, due to the Feast of Rosh Hashanah and some other things. And so, you know, I'm like, why even go back to school? If Jesus is coming, school starts in September, let's just check out of that one and wait for Jesus. And my parents didn't buy into that theology, and uh, it's probably a good thing because he didn't come in 1988. And then the guy revised his book for 1989. He didn't come in 1989. And, uh, you know, there, throughout the ages, there's been all kinds of teaching and predictions made about the coming of Jesus. When I was real little in our church, they used to show these movies called The Mark of the Beast and The Image of the Beast, and there were terrible, terrible movies about the tribulation, and it just scared the snot out of me. I mean, Larry Norman's song in the background. Anybody familiar with Larry Norman? There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind And, man, I was scared. It's like I got saved every Sunday just to cover my bases. And then they came out in the 90s with the Left Behind movies. And, you know, every, it seems like everybody's written a book on the last days. Now, here's what we know is absolutely true because Jesus shares it right here, is that he has marked, God has marked a day on the calendar when he is going to return. And when Jesus is going to judge the heavens and the earth, he's going to judge the living and the dead. I absolutely believe that. In fact, all of chapter 13 is Jesus teaching his disciples about what will take place just before his return. The signs, well, he starts with the destruction of the temple, and then he talks about just before he returns of wars and rumors of wars, kingdoms rising against kingdoms, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilence, all that that kind of stuff, all these signs that would take place just before the return of the Lord. Jesus is teaching them that, so we know that it's true. And, and I really do believe with all of my heart that we're living in the end of the end times. I, I believe that the last days began on the day of Pentecost and will lead all the way up to the day that Jesus does return. And, man, what a day that is going to be when Jesus cracks the eastern sky, steps out of eternity into history, and judges the heavens and the earth, puts evil away, sickness away. I mean, it's going to be an amazing, an amazing day. Nobody's, nobody's going to question who he is. We sang those words, he's not a baby in a manger anymore. I mean, that's going to be a powerful, powerful day. But in spite of all the teaching that Jesus does in the signs of the, of the end times, It's amazing to me, though, that Jesus's focus, his primary focus, was not so much on the external events that would take place, as much as it was the internal preparation of his disciples living in the middle of that. He said, look, this is going to happen, but what I want you to do is I want you to take heed, watch, and pray, or stay awake. He said, It's interesting, Jesus said four times in five verses, stay awake. When this happens, stay awake. Make sure that you stay awake. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. And what that's talking about is spiritual slumber. Jesus is literally saying that the greatest threat facing the church that will be alive on the planet just before the return of the Lord has nothing to do with the things that are happening around us. It has everything to do with the spiritual state of our heart. Spiritual slumber is our greatest enemy. Falling into a state of spiritual slumber. I mean, when the signs happen, it's amazing how startled we get out of our sleep. When we fall asleep, we don't know we're falling asleep. You just kind of drift off and then something will startle you. And then all of a sudden you're just like, whoa, whoa, how did, when did I fall asleep? If you've ever been driving and accidentally dozed off for even a second, was sudden, whoa, how did that happen? You don't know that it happens. It just happens one degree at a time. And that's why Jesus was saying, stay awake. Now, when I preached this message at, at Radiant in Kalamazoo, my son, who's 22, he came up to me afterwards. He's like, Dad, it's not stay awake. I'm like, what is it? And he's like, it's stay woke. <laughs> I'm like, what does that even mean? He's like, just trust me. Stay woke. So I just want you to hear Jesus saying to you this morning, stay woke. That's what he wants out of us, to stay woke. Because your greatest threat in the day that you live in, in the hour you live in, has nothing to do with what's going on on the other side of the planet. It's not the false alarm of the ballistic missile about ready to hit Hawaii. It's, it has nothing to do with that. It's, it's not even the fact that Kansas City Chiefs aren't going to go to the Super Bowl again this year. The only team that has more faithful fans, by the way, than the Kansas City Chiefs are the Detroit Lions come on, man, since 1955. (laughs) So it has everything to do with your soul, keeping your soul calibrated to the kingdom of God. There is this physiological phenomena that is beautiful. It's, It's so intricate that God has hardwired into the human mind, and the human body. It's something called a circadian rhythm. How many have ever heard that term before, a circadian rhythm? A circadian rhythm is a way that God has programmed the wiring of our brain to our bodies that controls our sleep patterns. And a clinical definition of a circadian rhythm is this. It's a physical, mental, and behavioral changes that follow a cycle responding primarily to light and darkness in a person's direct environment. It's controlled by nerve clusters just above the optic nerve behind the eye. So it's this process, it's a cycle that responds primarily to light and darkness in a person's direct environment, and what happens is when light, when it's daytime, and light comes through your eyes, the nerves in the back of your eye send a message to the brain, hey, it's time for us to be active, it's time for us to be at work, it's time for us to get going, so flip all the lights on in all the rooms of the house of your mind. And so that's why you wake up. But as your eye begins to take in less and less and less light, and it gets darker and darker and darker, it also sends a message to the brain, hey, it's time for us to wind down. It's time for us to turn certain rooms of our mind off so that we can begin to go to sleep. And so when it gets dark out, that's why you begin to get tired, and that's why when the sun comes up, it's hard to stay asleep. If you've ever tried to work third shift, you, you, you've come face-to-face with your circadian rhythm because it's hard to go to sleep at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's hard to sleep for six hours straight in a deep REM sleep when it's light out. Why? Because your, your body is used to a circadian rhythm. And you do this over and over and over again. Your body knows when it's time to be awake, when it's time to go to sleep. It's a beautiful thing that God has done in our physical bodies. It's beautiful until you experience something called jet lag. If you've ever traveled across time zones, you've experienced jet lag. Three, four, five hours at a time, you go to another time zone, and it's really extreme, Jane and I, in November, we went to Russia, left on Thursday and came back Monday. So I preached in Moscow and never went to sleep. I mean, I slept like two hours a day the whole time because my mind was connected and calibrated to the time zone where I'm at in home, and it doesn't matter that at two in the morning in Moscow that it's, you know, whatever, 10 a.m. in Michigan. So I'm wide awake. I'm watching Netflix, doing whatever I can do to kind of pass the time because there's no way in the world my body will go to sleep because here's what jet lag does. Your mind is calibrated circadian rhythm to the time zone that you live in, your direct environment, and it creates a pattern. But then you get in a plane a plane, and you unnaturally travel across five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten time zones where it's the exact opposite and it's nighttime here, but where you're from, it's daytime. So in the middle of the night, you're wide awake. Now, the goal when you travel is to, as quickly as possible, get your mind and your body calibrated to the new environment that you're in. Not home, but here. You want to you get calibrated. That's true when it comes to jet lag and the natural, but spiritually speaking, It's the last thing that you want to do. Spiritually speaking, we never want our hearts to get calibrated to the world that we live in. Why? It's because, you see, when you get saved, God translates you out of the kingdom of darkness, and he brings you across time zones into the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of truth, of faith, hope, and love. That's the new time zone. Philippians says that you are now a citizen of heaven. Ephesians 2 says that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. 2 Corinthians says that you're an ambassador of Christ. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 that at one time, you and I were lost in our sins, foreigners and strangers from the commonwealth of Israel and the promises of God in this world without God and without any hope. But then the next verse says, but God. In Jesus, we get pulled up out of our slavery and brought into sonship. We get taken out of darkness and brought into light. We get taken out of the time zone of wickedness and darkness and gross darkness and sin and death, and we're brought into an eternal kingdom of light and hope and love and peace. But yet we still live in this world. We're in this world, but not of it. This is not our nation of origin any longer. We're living here, though, as people of the day, that are now surrounded in our direct environment by darkness. Now, here's what happens in a lot of us. We get saved, and our heart is filled with light and truth. And now, even though we look exactly the same as we did on the day we we got saved and gave our lives to Jesus, we're now from a different place. We're now foreigners and strangers. Heaven is our home. And our heart is now calibrated by the Holy Spirit to heaven. But yet we live in this world, and Just like jet lag wears off, they say, one day per hour. So if you're 10 time zones, it'll take you 10 days to calibrate. It just takes one, two, three. It takes day upon day of our life that as we live in this world, if we're not careful, our heart shifts back to the time zone of darkness. And that's why Jesus was saying, stay awake keep the circadian rhythm of your soul aligned with the rhythms of heaven especially in the days when it gets dark especially in the days when things get turned upside down on their ear where rights wrong wrongs right and especially in those days you've got to stay woke how do you stay woke i love that i don't even my my english teacher would hate it but it just sounds right how do we stay awake in the days that you and I are living in. Well, let me give you some some things that I think are pivotal if we're going to stay awake in the days that we're living in and keep our our hearts fully alive in Jesus, keep ourselves fully engaged in the kingdom of God. The first thing is this, is if you're going to stay awake in the last days, you cannot relax. You can't relax. See, there's a difference between finding your rest in God and relaxing in the world relaxing means relaxing, letting down your guard. It means becoming comfortable. How many of you know you start falling asleep when you get comfortable? You come home after a long day of of work, and it's like you want to make a beeline to that chair. My dad had an old Barker lounger that had like uh, avocado green and rust and brown tweed fabric on it and the leg didn't go upright. It was broke this way, duct tape holding this part of it together. And that was dad's chair. You did not sit in dad's chair because when dad sat in that chair, it was the most uncomfortable chair in the world. And the reason why is it was form fitted to dad. When dad sat in it, he sank into it, his remote in one hand and, and he would be asleep by six o'clock. It's because when you get comfortable, when you relax, that's when sleep comes upon you. And spiritually speaking, relaxing In the world has to do with the state of our compromise. See, compromise is a spiritual bacteria that breeds best in an environment of spiritual comfort. It's a bacteria that will grow. It's like mold in the corner that if you put it in the right environment, it'll compromise. That's what compromise is. Relaxing is about compromise. Letting down your guard a little at a time. Can I just tell you this? That the devil will never show up in your life Knock on the door, and when you answer it, he's going to say, Hello, my name is Louis Siffer, and I am here to destroy your life. That's not how the devil shows up. He comes camouflaged in things that are seemingly innocuous. He'll never announce himself. John 10 10 says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but he doesn't announce it. He comes dressed up as good things, as all right things, as one decision, as one date, as one conversation, as one thought, as just one little thing, because he knows if he can just get a foothold in, then he can take you further than you wanted to go. It'll cost you more than you wanted to pay, and he will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. That's how compromise works. There's a guy in the, in the Bible that probably heard his name before. His name is Lot. He was the nephew of Abraham, and remember, he traveled with Abraham. They came into the land of Canaan together. And God's favor upon his life, because he was with Abraham, was obvious. They began to expand, multiply, grow, grow richer. And at one point, Abraham said, we can't stay together. You're going to have to decide where you want to go. And you go one direction with your herds and your people. I'm going to go in the other direction, and then we'll both prosper. There will be pastures for both of us. Lot looks down into the valley And it's the same valley that Sodom and Gomorrah are in. And Sodom and Gomorrah are always pictures in the Bible of sin and compromise. But it says that the valley that was around Sodom and Gomorrah, it said it was green and it was lush. It was to the natural eye. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it leads to death. So Lot says, I'll go that way. So Lot takes his, the Bible tells us in Genesis, it says he pitched his tents towards Sodom. He didn't go in Sodom. He just went in that direction because of how it looked. It was green. It was lush. It was comfortable. And he began to prosper and he began to grow in this place. But then there came a time when God was about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels of the Lord went in there to rescue Lot out. And when they go to rescue him, he was no longer camping just outside of Sodom. He was living in Sodom. At some point, Living on the outskirts, he began to think to himself, oh, we should just move in town. We should just get closer to things. One step at a time. First step was Abraham. Second step was towards Sodom. Third step was in Sodom. The Bible records it in the New Testament like this in Second Peter. It says, and remember how God delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds notice it says day by day most compromise in our life doesn't happen in a single day it happens day to day happens a little bit at a time one degree off a pilot leaving la flying to new york if he's one degree off of his trajectory by the time he gets to the east coast will land in virginia it's one degree that changes everything in our lives. So if, if we compromise, we will eventually give way to spiritual slumber. Everybody say, stay awake. Number two is you've got to stay in the light. If you want to keep your circadian rhythm alive, you've got to stay in the light. One of my favorite scriptures is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's Psalm chapter 19. It says, thy word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, we need to have the light coming into our eyes to keep us awake physically. We need the light coming into the eyes of our soul spiritually on a regular basis. And what I find is so ironic is we are living in the one nation on the earth that has more Bibles than the rest of the world. We have so many Bibles, people. How many own a Bible? Raise your hand. Okay. How many own two Bibles? Raise your hand. How many own more than 10 Bibles? Raise your hand. I counted the other day. I have over 100 Bibles. I love Bibles. I give Bibles away, but I love Bibles. I collect Bibles. I'm a Bible junkie. I'm a bibliophile. <laughs> when I grew up, my grandpa had a big old 50-pound King James heathen choker. I mean, that, that sucker was, looked like a telephone book. And, man, he had it jammed with notes, and I, I would sit on his lap. He'd read me the Bible. We live in a day where we have more, we have three Bibles to every one person in the United States. You can have them in your hotel, you have them on your phones, your devices. Uh, when I grew up, we had two translations. You had King James and NIV, and there was like some odd ones, but now we got NLT, NIV, ESV. You got the message, you got the Passion Translation, the Broadman-Holman Christian Standard. You got the American Standard, the ASV. You got the NRSV. You got, I mean, you, 50 different translations. And when I was growing up, you'd get it in black, brown, or burgundy. But now you can get a black, brown burgundy, you can get it in uh, lizard skin, you can get it in a tin can, you can get it in a brown, like rugged saddle leather thing, you can, I mean, you can get it in any kind of exterior that you want. And it's not just the Bible. Now we got study Bibles. You got men's Bible, men's study Bible, women's study Bible, leadership study Bible, you got student study Bible, kids study Bible. We got Military Bibles, leadership Bibles, patriotic Bibles, end-time prophecy study Bibles. You've got, I'm a third shift cappuccino repairman at Quick Trip study Bibles. We got Bibles for everybody. Here's the problem. We got a lot of Bibles, but we don't have a lot of Bible in us because in our country, especially even in the church, there's there's a disease, a spiritually transmitted disease called biblical illiteracy. People don't know the Bible. The other day, I... Actually, it was like a year and a half ago, I preached a message and I referenced Noah building an ark. I had a college student from Western Michigan University come up to me and go, so you, you were talking about a guy who built a boat named Noah. What was that about? Right? You've never heard of Noah? No. What's, what's that? Never had heard the story of Noah in her entire life. And so, How does that happen? And here's what I know, is the Bible doesn't get in us by osmosis. There's no... USB port in us that we can like, wouldn't that be awesome to just download it and be able to like quote it like Alexander Scorby and British King James. And the word became flesh and the word was God and the word dwelt among us and we beheld him as the glory of only. I mean, it'd be awesome, but it doesn't happen that way. We've got to become people that feast on the word of God, because every time we go to God's word, it calibrates our heart to our home where we are from, from the kingdom. When all we're feasting on is social media, I mean, I love all the apps, but can I tell you, we spend way more time watching people's highlight reels, And I fear that there's a generation of us that are going to spend our time on social media watching other people fulfill their destiny and actually miss ours. Because your destiny is found by going into God's Word, having the Spirit of God that's on the inside of you that inspired this begin to echo, repeat, and dissect God's Word for you and give you a revelation by which you can walk in. That's why fasting and prayer and these seasons are so important because as we feast on God's faithfulness, sometimes that requires us fasting on some things of this world. And in that environment, God speaks to us. We've got to believe the word and we've got to have the word on the inside of us. Somebody asked me one time, do you really believe the Bible? I know you preach it, but do you really believe it? I believe that baby from Genesis to maps. Everything in, man. When it says genuine leather on the back, I believe that too. (laughs) Because it has changed my life. Third thing, if we're going to stay spiritually awake, is got to keep our focus. Everybody say focus. focus. Keep your focus, because if you lose your focus, you fall asleep. Keeping our focus. Romans chapter 13 is just such a powerful scripture. It says, by this time you know that the hour has come for you to awake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. And then at the very end it says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Putting on the armor of light, that takes focus. When we take our eye off the ball, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, That's when we get distracted and we swerve. It's like if I'm talking to you and then all of a sudden squirrel, it's like. We get distracted. Bad things happen in our life when we take our eyes off of the main thing. 2004, I was driving home from work. My Dodge Durango, Jane had given me a list of things to pick up at the store on my way home. And I'm driving down a main thoroughfare in Kalamazoo called Gull Road three-lane highway, and as I'm driving, I'm in the center lane, and, and truth be told, reality is I'm kind of an aggressive driver. I'm kind of an antsy driver. I don't, uh, people who drive slow in the left lane really need to, like, go to life sentences in prison. I mean, it's just, I can't, and so I don't like, I don't like slow people, and I don't like to be the slow guy, so I pulled up to the stoplight. I'm in the middle lane, left lane to the left of me, right lane turn to the right of me, and I'm listening to a tape. If you are under 30, there used to be these plastic things that had ribbon in them, and you would, like, put them into your dashboard, and they would talk to you. Um, So I was listening to a teaching tape, and it said, put tape number two in for the continuation of this message. So I went to get tape number two, and it fell into the floorboard of the passenger side. I'm like, oh, no, it's a red light. I'm I can't get to it. I don't want to put it in park. So I have my foot on the brake. I'm reaching over in the passenger seat, and I can barely reach it. Anybody ever had one of these? Type of, I'm like tapping it to myself, but I just can't quite get it. And I know at any minute the light's going to change. Somebody's going to honk. And I'm seeing out of my peripheral vision cars driving by me on the right-hand side. I'm like, oh, no. And right about that time I, I see the cars, I hear, uh, uh, somebody right behind me is just blasting on the horn. So I I said, I missed the light. Everybody's waiting on me. This is the worst thing in the world. I came up, and I gunned it. I had a big V8 pickup truck, and I just gunned it. And boom, slammed into the front or the back of the car in front of me because the light had not changed. It had not changed at all. Light radiator fluid everywhere. I hit it so hard that my battery dislocated, flew out from under the hood, and then landed on my windshield. And I thought, oh, you ever had one of those moments you wish you could rewind the tape? Then, as if it couldn't get any worse, two of the largest men I've ever seen in my life emerge out of the car that I just hit. They get out of the car, and I'm like, I am so dead. They are walking back towards me, and I'm trying to figure out what's written on their shirts, but I can't because it's covered in the lunch that they were eating that now is all over them and their pop but I see black t-shirts and white letters that say POLICE. You thought your day was bad. I ran into an undercover narcotics unit that was on their way to a drug bus that they had been working on for a year and a half. They had just swung into KFC to get lunch and we're on our way to their drug bust, and then I showed up. They are walking back at me, and they are swearing their heads off. I mean, what in the beep, 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 beep? It's like an episode out of Cops, man. I mean, I'm like, oh, I am dead. Huge. Guys, one guy's bald. What in the beep? Where are you? Beep, beep, beep. I'm so sorry, sir. Oh, officer, I apologize. Where are you coming from? Why are you in such a hurry? I'm like, I just left work, and He's like, what? I said, I thought the light had changed. He's like, where do you work at? I said, I work at Radiant Church. And Church? He was like, what do you do at the church? And uh, everything in me wanted to lie. Everything in, me, <laughs> everything in me wanted to say I'm a motivational speaker. But, but I didn't. I said, um, well, I'm the, I'm the senior pastor. Immediately, the guy who was swearing at me snaps to and does one of these things. He goes... <laughs> Father, I am so sorry for my language. I am so sorry. The other guy just just looks at me and he goes, he doesn't know what to say. He goes, "Um, my mom has a Bible. (laughs) Now, normally, I don't let people call me father. But in that moment, I said, you are forgiven, my son. I I bless you, my son. (laughs) Whatever. Is it this way? That way. Okay and I got three major tickets. <laughs> Bad things happen when you get distracted. Because what you think is happening is not what's happening. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus. The author And the finisher of our faith. As much as you needed to have your heart focused on Jesus for him to start the miracle of your salvation, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus every day of your life for him to finish the miracle of your salvation in your life. It's not that you earn your salvation, but he's the one leading us through the darkness. Keeping our hearts calibrated to the things that are significant and important. It's important that we stay awake. I'm going to invite the worship team wherever they're at. They can they can make their way up here. I got through three of six points. Here's the main, here's the main thing. Here's the takeaway. So we're living in a world that very easily can throw the alignment of your heart off. Just very easily. I can't tell you how many awesome people that I have known that started off really well loving Jesus got their eyes off, got really comfortable, got distracted, got out of the word and just one degree at a time began to drift, began to swerve just a little bit. And no, you know, nobody ever wakes up and says, today is the day I'm going to ruin my life. Today's the day I'm going to stop loving Jesus. That's not how it works. It's just one degree at a time that's why Jesus was so concerned. Listen, hear me. Jesus was not saying these words as some list of rules and regulations saying, you better do it. You better do it. You better do it. Jesus was saying this because he knows the human heart. He's like, listen, I know, I know, I've experienced what it is to be human. I've been where you're at. I'm going through my own temptation as I approach the cross. And I know how easy it is that living in this world, wanting to please the Father, how strong the gravitational pull of the enemy's voice is in your life. Listen to me. Guys, when everything around you, the signs and the things in the world are happening, and let's just bring it even closer. When everything around you in your life is trying to pull you in different directions, stay awake. Keep your heart pure. Stay in love with Jesus. Stay in love with God. Stay plugged in. Stay fueled. Stay filled with the Holy Spirit so that your heart will not drift, so that the enemy won't steal from you your inheritance. I want to invite everyone across the room, if they would, to just stand with me on their feet, and I want to pray over us. If you would like to follow Jesus, we'd like to connect with you on your journey. Email us at follow at radianchurchkc.com. If this ministry has encouraged you, we'd love to hear your story. Email us at mystory at radianchurchkc.com. If you'd like to invest in Radian Church, please click give on our website, radianchurchkc.com. Are you a young adult and interested in spending a year in Kansas City at Radian Church? Check out radiantintensive.com. Thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast.